Welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am back. And today I have a lovely guest. I'm really excited to have this conversation because we're going to be talking about something that is really near and dear to my heart, which is called acusis. And if you don't know what that word means, it's the fancy schmancy term for being sound sensitive. Terry Lee is my guest today. And Terry Lee offers a spirit and science approach to being mindful through major life transitions like grief, loss, moving home, career shifts, empty nest, divorce, and breakups. Terry Lee's clients, who are usually empathic and highly sensitive, like all of us, emerge from these major challenges in life to serve their communities with the wisdom gained from their challenges. Terry Lee's simple and practical step-by-step step integrative mindfulness methodology is unprecedented and is based on decades of practice in anatomy, physiology, neuroplasticity, linguistics, chakra energetics, yoga, meditation, and ancient indigenous wisdoms. So you guys, get ready for a treat. We're going to have an amazing conversation. Terry Lee, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jen. So before we dive into all things acusis and sound sensitivity and how you basically took like your fatal flaw and turned it into your superpower, let's just talk about you and like being highly sensitive and empathic. When did you realize you were highly sensitive and empathic? Um, you know, did it start in childhood? Like, what was it like? <laughs> it did of course, start in childhood. I did not know the term empath probably till the last two decades. Mm -hmm. And I'm 50 now. So that's an entire lifetime of not knowing the word for it, the empath yeah. word for it. But I remember being a very small child and being always called sensitive. And in that not good way, oh, she's so sensitive. Oh, she's so sensitive. And being the weird kid in school. And having an older brother who picked on me for being sensitive. A great example, I can literally remember being a three-year-old. So this is one of my first memories as a three-year-old. And my older brother, who was seven, would hold me down and pretend to tickle me. But I could feel it. Yeah, You know, he'd say, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And I would be screaming because he was touching me. I could feel it and I could see it. And I could hear it. And then the tone of his voice in that teasing way would trigger my nerves in an even bigger way. So I've known since I was three years old, and I was also very challenged as a toddler into my high school years with extreme temper tantrums because I was so overstimulated by so many mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. example, I was probably, I don't remember this specific incident. I was probably 18 months old or two years old. And we were in a, a target store kind of thing. And I wanted a cookie. And there was just way too much stimuli that 
When my mom said, no, you can't have that cookie, the word no hit me in such a angry way. And it was Minnesota. It was winter. It was cold coming in through the outside doors right by the door and not getting what I wanted when it really, I think I wanted the cookie because it would calm all the other things. Yes. From too many people, too many sounds, too many energies, the beep, beep, beep of the cash registers just pinging every nerve of my being. And it's 20 below zero outside and I'm kicking and screaming in a temper tantrum that they couldn't get my jacket on me. Mm. And they carried me outside kicking and screaming in 20 below zero weather, which then made it worse. Of course. You know? You're already overstimulated. And then being sent to my room for being a bad little girl. Oh. Not knowing all the stimulation that I was dealing with. So in my very early childhood, it was that kind of situation. And my brothers had their own kind of sensitivity that then turned started to realize as we were older, like six, seven, eight years old for me, that our sensitivity was also somewhat psychic energy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For example, my younger brother was two years old and he would say, he'd be in the car seat in the back of the car. And he said, you got to get home. The phone's ringing. Mm. It's grandma. Something happened to grandpa. And that actually happened. We got home, got in the driveway and the phone was ringing. We ran into the house to answer the phone. It was grandma and my grandpa had had a heart attack. And so my brothers had more of that psychic energy. And I just had the hypersensitivity that all my five senses were overload. What I've discovered though, is that my sense of sight, my sense of sound and my sense of touch are the ones I'm more, are more palpable to me. And probably the most of that is the accuses, the sense of sound. Yeah. Yeah. And that sense of sound translates to me in a synesthesia way where I, I not only hear it, but I feel it and I see it. Mm. And that goes into my ability to see auras and chakras. When I hear someone talking to me, I don't just hear them, but I feel their vibration. And then I see it in the forms of colors and energies and lights and vibration and movement with my with my eyes. Well, and I'm just really struck by how there's a few things. You know, one thing that there's just actually there's so many things that, that you just <laughs> talked about. I you reminded me when you were talking about your brother tickling you psychically like that. We, uh, I actually used to be part of a community where we had this friend who, who was like, his name was his moniker was Tickle Monster. And he oh. was one of those people who could like, from five feet away, he could tickle you. And, you know, and people could feel it because he was intense, sending his intention into that tickling. But, um, you know, I was also thinking about as you're speaking about how your brothers had more of the psychic ability and you had more of the sensitivity this is something I've been really coming to understand at an even deeper level is that psychics, mediums, intuitives, empaths, we're all open to picking up things and to receiving information. But psychics receive information and recognize it as something coming from outside of themselves. As empaths, we process the information as if it's our own. And so everything comes through our felt experience in a way that psychics don't go through. And I think it's just so much more challenging being empathic in that way or being Mm -hmm. an empath because of the fact that it's like, not only are we receiving it, but then we're processing it as if it's our own. And I'm just struck by 
how you're talking about childhood, you're so overstimulated. You're getting so much, you're being bombarded with all of this sensory awareness. And instead of somebody recognizing, oh, Terry Lee needs downtime. Terry needs, Terry Lee needs like, like to just to quiet. She's just, you're sent to your room for being a bad girl, which I do imagine being sent to your room in some ways was helpful because it meant mm-hmm. that you got out of the fray. Right. And yeah. what I would do is I would go straight to my closet. Yeah. And I'd hide in my closet with the, the soundproofing of the clothes. And I buried myself in a, a hollow of pillows in my closet. Yes. And to this day, the closet is the most comfortable space for me. I've actually created my yoga room in my closet because oh. that closed room, that closed space is so cozy and so comforting. Yeah. Yes. I created when I was recording the audiobook. We have a defunct sauna in our basement with where it's so old the motherboard broke down and nobody can replace it. So I turned it into a sound booth and recording space. And it's a very cozy fabric all over the walls, pillows everywhere. And there is something about going into that silence, into those places of silence that are just mm-hmm. it's so nourishing. It's so nourishing. So let's. I'm sure we could talk on and on and on about childhood and about, you know, about those experiences, but I'd really love to talk about acusis. So what's your definition of it? What's your experience with it? I mean, I think anybody who's got sound sensitivity kind of knows this, but I'd love to hear more, like, talk about it, please. I think for me, it's that my ears... It's, it's almost synesthesia, the blending of senses, because my ears are the tunnel that the stimuli comes in through. But as soon as the sound comes into my ears, it turns into tactile texture feeling because it's vibration. Mm. And so then that vibration becomes feeling. Mm. And I'm feeling as much as I'm hearing. When you're, so, you're feeling, are you saying, are you feeling emotions? Are you feeling physical sensations? Are you feeling a combination of that? Yes. All of the above. All of the above. I'm feeling the physical vibration of the sound in my ear canal. And that vibration goes through all my nerves. As I hear it, I can feel the fine motor differences and I can trace where that sound goes to what parts of my body. And so as someone speaks, if they're, say they have a lisp or a whistle in their voice, I can feel that in a different part of my body than if they're mumbling. And the the choice of letters they use, you know, people can use different words that are synonyms of the same connotation, the same meaning, but they're going to choose different words based on different letters. And those different letters are going to go into my ears and I'll hear the sound of it, but I'll also feel the vibration through my body to a different body part. And it's going to trigger that body part to feel a sensation. That's very different based on the choice of the letter. Wow. So there's that synesthesia. Uh huh. On top of that, I also have the sight of seeing auras and chakras. Mm -hmm. And I learned that when I was a child too. My dad went to an intuitive development class and came back and said, we have auras. And I'm like, yeah, I see yours. I just, I thought everyone could see them, but it's not something we talked about. And here I realized that, 10 years old, this is a rare skill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And 
when I, I didn't realize this till years later in my twenties, when I started taking yoga classes where the yoga classes had mirrors and when the yoga classes had mirrors, I would listen to the teacher, give an instruction to the class. And I was a student and I would, I could feel that instruction go into my ear and down into my body. And it would almost tell my body what to do, but I could also see the the aura of that word or that instruction go through the room and hit all the bodies of the different people in the class and change their auras and change their chakras. And so that was the first time I could see all three of those senses blending together because I could, I had a visual to match what I was feeling and hearing inside my own body by watching it on other students. Wow. And watching it myself in my own mirror vision of myself in the yoga class. And what's funny is, again, I got in trouble. <laughs> like instead of, oh, this is happening, I was told by the teacher, Terry Lee, you're not paying attention. You need to look at your own eyes in the mirror. Well, I couldn't look at my own eyes in the mirror because there was a laser light show going on that was matching what I was feeling and what I was hearing. I always find it fascinating when people approach things I'm sorry for interrupting you. By the way, they approach things from a place of like declarative instead of curiosity. Like as a teacher, I personally feel like I always try to approach things from curiosity. And I mean, in general, in life, I'd rather approach things from curiosity than from assumption. And it just sounds like this yoga teacher made quite the assumption about what was going on for you instead of being curious about like, what's going on for her? Why is she not looking into her own eyes? (laughs) Well, a lot of that too was the style of yoga and the way that teacher was taught. It was a very authoritative, you do this, you listen, you do this, you listen. And <laughs> yeah. you do not, you're focused on yourself. Yoga is about self-awareness, you focus on yourself. So I left that style of yoga and I started teaching yoga because oh if God. I'm teaching it, then I can study mm-hmm. without anyone getting mad at me mm-hmm. because I'm in charge of the class. And like you said, I can be curious. Yeah, And so through teaching of yoga, I could experiment with what words I use, how they come out of my mouth, the tone of voice, the letters I choose, the poetry I weave into the language of the words, and how is that hitting the auras of my students? And are they feeling what I feel when I say those words? And are their energies changing to shift to what I want them to change to and shift to because of the intention I'm hoping that they'll get out of the sensation from the pose. And I spent 20 years studying, just watching my students and paying attention to where does this word land in the body, both in taking classes, how do the the words of my teachers land in my body, but also in teaching classes, how do my words and sounds hit the language in the bodies of my students? And then I just got really fascinated about the nervous system and how does sound hit the nerves and how does sight hit the nerves and how does vibration move through the body and what do the different body parts mean? Mm. Mm -hmm. And so then I started studying some somatic movement and what is what kinds of moods and emotions and tensions and sounds and energies do we hold in each body part? And It's been a really fun, exciting journey from being this temper tantrum teenager to 
this teacher of teaching people how to really listen to their bodies by feeling it and teaching them about the different letters and the different sounds and the different phrases they're using by teaching them how to be more precise in their language and their affirmations and Mm -hmm. the way they talk to themselves and the way they talk to their bodies Mm -hmm. and the words they're listening to in their world, the, the music they're listening to and the sounds that are penetrating their energies because yes you and I as very sensitive accuses people yeah and maybe you've used this word too the misophonia do you know that word I am familiar with the word that's that's where like the sound of people chewing and other stuff the mouth noises just typically it is chewing or mouth noises but really it's any noise that triggers that really anger feeling inside you so it's like you're nailed down a chalkboard. It's yes. A the very first, yeah. the first time I ever noticed that within myself, I think I was in second grade, just the sound of chalk on the chalkboard itself, the sound of somebody taking, the teacher taking a piece of chalk and running it across the chalkboard made me nauseous. Like I had such a strong reaction to it. And that was probably for me, one of the very first times where I became aware. But of course, I had no idea there was something like I just was like knew that I was uncomfortable with the sound of somebody using chalk on a chalkboard. Yeah. Right. So that's what misophonia is. Yes. Yes. It, it takes that acusis to another level where it triggers a nervous system in such a way that it causes the hormones to go out of balance and create intense emotion. Yes. And usually that emotion is anger or rage or fear. Or like you said, nauseous. So it yeah. can take it even a, a level further and cause physical, physiological responses of right. nausea or dizziness or whatever. And it's all connected to the nervous system. Yes. And it's all triggered by sound. Mm. And I, I don't think we realize as a human species in the general population, in the general culture, how profound sound is. Mm-hmm. in our everyday lives, except for the concept of, hey, music makes us happy. Right, right. And music helps us process emotions, you know. Oh, I love to hear Taylor Swift's song about it's me because that helps us process our own inner stuff. Right, right. But it's so much more than that. And so for people like you that. and me who have that acusis and then raise it to the level of misophonia. Yeah. It's really shifting the nervous system. And when we become mindful, and that's what my work is all about, is mindfulness. When we become mindful about how we engage with sound and how we engage with stimuli coming into our world and look at it from a curious perspective, not a, I hate that and I got to run away from it, but what is my body telling me about this sound? And what does it mean for me? And how do I work with that in my future? And the way I work with that is really by teaching people how to be precise with their language and what their language is doing to trigger their bodies. Because the body is the way we talk to ourselves and listen to ourselves. So I have two questions for you. One is because I just keep on, it just keeps on coming to my mind. The first question, and I'll just tell you both of them. The first question is, do you notice the difference between working virtually and being in the presence of people in terms of 
your level of sensitivity to the sound? Like, do you experience it the same way or is there a buffer being online and doing things virtually? And then the second one was you've spoken about the choice of words and specifically the choice of like, which like the letters that that are are associated with or connected to words. I'd love some real like examples of this. If you could share like, like what you've noticed about this, like I'd love to unpack that. So first, is there a difference between like actual and virtual? And secondly, like, let's talk about words. Right. So actual and virtual. Yeah. I used to travel all over the country to meet with my clients face-to-face in person. And I would do six or eight clients in a day. And I would end up completely exhausted because the stimuli was way too much. Yes. COVID was the best thing in the world for me professionally. Yes. For two reasons. Because it could cut out all the other external stimuli that I had to put a barrier up mm-hmm. and or a filter. Like it, it was always there. And I could always hear the people outside the door. I could hear the other things. And with virtual, I can just hyper-focus on that client. Yes. And I can hear their subtleties in their language far better. Yes. And over even over the last couple of years, it used to be that telephone was better than video. Mm-hmm. Because then by shutting off the video, I could just really go with just the sound. Yes. As the only way to penetrate my system. Yes. But now in the last couple of years, I've been, because of COVID, people are used to video and they want to see me. Mm-hmm. And I can now, I've actually exercised my skill where video works just as well as audio. Mm-hmm. But that extra buffer, it's like putting on a weighted blanket, which God, I wish they existed when I was a kid. <laughs> it just helps so much everything. to filter out the unnecessary stuff. Yes. And then that brings it to a fine tune of the very specific stuff. Yes. Yes. Everything you're saying is my experience as well, actually. And, you know, while, while working directly or working, you know, live, there's something very special about that. There's so much more, we're processing so much more information. And Mm -hmm. I, I love the way that virtual work allows us, it it really does act as sort of like, it, it really filters things. So you can focus entirely on the one most important thing or the two right. or three most important things. So that's been very much my experience. Yeah. When I teach a group, I have taught groups in virtual and then teach groups in live. And when I teach a group in live, it's really about what I end up doing is working with the collective energy of the whole group. Yes. It's harder to pinpoint. I have to like funnel myself to pinpoint the individual. Mm-hmm. So I end up teaching to the the beast of the whole culture rather than just the one person. And now virtual, when I do a group virtually, I can zone into this is what this person is saying in this moment. And I can hear it much more precisely because there's not the noise of the other people and their energies infiltrating that. And then I can zoom out and cognitively and intellectually recognize, well, all these people are talking about these similar threads. 
Yes. And they're using these similar words and these similar sounds and letters, which goes to your second question. Yes. Yeah. And then I can read the group as a whole based on the energies of their commonalities and their common choices. So your second question is about the actual sound. Yes. And so this comes to when, when I knew as a high schooler that I was very gifted in this area. And I started to decide at, in high school, I want this to be a gift, not a curse. Mm. And so I chose at that point, I want to study language. I really want to understand sound for what it is as it comes out of human beings. And so I went to, to college to study literature and creative writing. And I remember specifically a creative writing professor. We were in a poetry class and he did two things that really stood out to me and really triggered my accuses in beautiful ways. First, he had us all go around the room saying the exact same word. Now, he was thinking in the gross function way. He's like, I want to know how many of you say interesting and how many of you say interesting. Yeah. And wondering what the difference is between interesting and interesting. But as the 15 of us went around and each person said that same word, I heard entirely different things than just interesting versus interesting. I heard which ones emphasize the T and which ones emphasize the N and which one length lingered on the ing which ones emphasize the i at the beginning and i could then see who they were as people by how they were saying their that one word and how they relate to that word and i was in my own little head like analyzing well if you are emphasizing the i and i is about ego and the i is the first letter and that's in that word you're really a powerful I ego presence. You have a lot of confidence. But then I look at the person, well, of course they do. This is the jock. This is the football player dude who bursts on the field, you know? Whereas another person in the class would linger on the ING. And she was the kind of person who kind of just lingered around everything. She was almost a loiterer. <laughs> And so I was able to analyze that. And after that class, I was just like, this professor is onto something, but he didn't even know I was thinking all that depth. He was just like, interesting, interesting. There's two ways to pronounce a word. So the second thing he did was he had us color code poetry. And so he said, pick your favorite poem and every letter or sound that's the same color at the same color. And I, of course, got very specific. Well, I'm not just going to choose every letter. The I'm not just going to randomly choose a color. I chose a color that matched the energy I feel with that letter. And I color-coded this poem, Phenomenal Woman by Maya Angelou. And so there's a lot of F sounds and M sounds and N sounds in that word, in that whole poem, Phenomenal Woman, M-N. FMN repeated over and over again. She never uses the word feminine, but the whole poem is just littered with the feminine word through the sound of the F and N. And I had colored the F and PH sounds all pink, which is a very feminine Barbie color. So yeah. I could see it. And it was like in that moment, as I finished color coding that whole poetry, that whole poem, I realized that the poem then 
had an aura. And then I could, in my own mind, because I understood the chakras at that point, I could pick out which sounds were which chakra because I had consciously chosen which sounds to go with which letters. So then over years of studying that and getting into studying Sanskrit, which is the language, the ancient language that yoga is often taught in, and understanding the sound vibration of what the Sanskrit words were doing to the bodies. And I had a brilliant teacher in yoga once say the vowel sounds in Sanskrit create the the energies that you want with your body. And that matched back to my analysis of Maya Angelou's poetry. Because in Sanskrit, the E sound, which is actually I, the trikanasana or vrikshasana, they are poses that are meant to elongate, to make you taller, to make you longer, to make you reach. Well, Maya Angelou's poem, And Still I Rise, that I sound is lengthening and reaching. And the way she wrote that poem, the still I rise, the sound elongates itself within the sentence and within the phrase. And so I just got fascinated by all of that. And I spent probably three decades of my life, as well as watching my own words come out of my mouth at my yoga students, watching how does that impact people's bodies? And how am I feeling my, my clients' words coming into my body? And what is it doing to my body? And what is it doing to my energy? Is it making me want to be long and reach? Is it making me want to be grounded and rooted? Is it making me heavy? Is it making me light? Analyzing all that, really coming to understand that every letter and every sound that comes out of our mouths has a physiological impact on our nervous system and how we feel inside ourselves. Yes. Yes. So you mentioned you're talking about, I mean, and I just have to say, like, I come from a long line of poets and I started doing poetry analysis. Like I, I love poetry and like analyzing poetry. I've never heard anybody talk about it this way. I <laughs> love what you're describing. Like, I'm like, oh my God, this takes it to a whole other level of understanding of sort of the meta within like phenomenal woman being feminine, 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 even though she never says the word, it's all through it. I, I'm just, and the color, everything you're saying is just like, oh, mind blown. <laughs> so you mentioned, like you've talked about a few words, like I, the sound, the I sounds being very forward facing, very egoic, that understanding of ourselves. And then, you know, that ing being more of a loitering, kind of lingering, pulling you out, and the ease being these elongating. I'd love to hear some more examples of like, could you give us kind of a, like, I don't know, like almost like run through, I don't know if it's like you want to go through the entire alphabet, <laughs> but maybe even just doing like the con the vowels and talking about like what you found these different vowels tend to mean. Yeah. Yeah. Let me actually take it to an even more practical level in yeah. terms of how I work with my clients with this. Yes. And that is clients will come to me with an affirmation and they say, it's not working. I'm not feeling this. Mm -hmm. And I will analyze the sounds within the affirmation and then give them different words that have the same meaning, but it hits their nervous system in a different way. 
I'll give you a couple of examples, but one of the obvious easiest ones is the one I gave to the client about phenomenal woman. Mm -hmm. A client came to me saying, I'm a strong, independent woman. Mm. And the sounds in that phrase, which is a very common cultural phrase, all women are saying that these days, I'm a strong, independent woman. Well, there's a lot of T's and D and more definitive, sharp sounds. Independent is very sharp. It's very pointed. And sharp and pointed is very masculine. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the word strong, and strong is traditionally considered a masculine sound. Mm-hmm. Men are strength. Mm-hmm. Not that women aren't. It's a different kind of strength to be feminine than it is to be masculine strength. It feels like a very congested word to me. It's a very heavy word. Right. And there's only yeah. one vowel in it. There's yeah. like eight letters and only one vowel in strength. Mm-hmm. And so it is. It's a dense, heavy, short really heavy sound that is also sharp at the same time. Yeah. And so I said to this, and she said, you know, it it served me. I'm a strong, independent woman. I'm tired of being that. I'm tired of being so masculine, having to work so hard and be so powerful. And so I said to her, your new affirmation is, I'm a phenomenal woman. It means the same thing, but on a feminine level. It changed everything in her entire world. Her, how she was relating to people, how she was talking to her clients, how she was engaging with her children, how she was choosing clothes off the rack at the store, how she was engaging in relationship with her partner. It changed everything to go from strong, independent, masculine, sharp to phenomenal woman, feminine strength. And so that F, M, and N, those are very voluptuous letters. They're very soft, but they have duration. They have endurance. You can linger on an mmm and mmm. You just did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did deliberately. So are you noticing a correlation or is there almost like a yin and a yang to the alphabet where there's like yes, masculine and feminine words or, or not words, but letters? Are there neutral letters or is it all, does it tend to go either yin, yang? Well, if you go back to the Latin roots of English and Romance languages, those words all are declined as either masculine, feminine, or neutral. So there was some wisdom in that in the development of the language in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think we've lost some touch with that. Yes. And that yin, yang, masculine, feminine energy of a dualistic blending of nature of everything. You know, so there's that piece. And there is also, there are some letters too that have, that can go both ways. Like G can be a soft G or a hard G. Mm -hmm. And so it can be masculine and feminine, depending on how it's used. And then you look at the word jiggle and it's got both. It's got that J G sound and the G G of G, giggle. And then there's like C's, which could be either that soft C or the K. Huh. Yes. Uh-huh. And so when you analyze that, it has these overarching meanings in that sense. But then you have to take it to another level when you're working individually with people personally, mm-hmm. because people can create their own connotations of sound the way that sound was used in their childhood or in their conditioning or the way they're still using it now. So 
if I had given phenomenal woman to a client who was conditioned to believe that women are the weaker sex, it might not work the same way because her connotation would be FM and N is weakness. Mm-hmm. And you have to be careful then about which words you're choosing for yourself because it could actually trigger the opposite of what you're intending. I have another client who, if she used the phrase, I'm beautiful, it actually made her feel ugly to think about beauty because she would think about beauty as something outside of herself. My physical body doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look beautiful. So then therefore I cannot become beautiful. So I had to change her language and make her start thinking about using phrases that made her feel on the inside what she is on the inside. And so instead of her affirmation being, I'm beautiful, she said, I am precious. Well, that's a whole different energy. Whole different energy. And so when, and a lot of that has to do with my acusis. When I listen to clients and they talk to me for 20 minutes straight without stop, which happens often as we unpass do, we just open the door and someone talks. Right. I am feeling all those words and I'm hearing what words they're repeating. And I'm hearing and feeling in my own body as an empath how those words are landing within me. So then I can tell them, this is how you're feeling with this word. And this word doesn't work for you. How about this one? Or I'll hear words that they're saying over and over again, and they're not even knowing that that's their affirmation. So I'm bringing it to the front. I had a client a couple of weeks ago. She used the word harmony, harmony and harmonic probably two dozen times in 15 minutes. And so then I said, how does this feel when I say it to you? I am harmony. And she said, it feels awesome, except something's not right. And so then I said, how about I am harmonic? Yeah. that Yeah. And for her, she didn't want the lingering. She wanted to be definitive. That ending hard C made it a period at the end of the sentence rather than a question mark. Mm. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in the E, it's like that lingering. That lingering and that long, elongating. That pulling it out. Yeah. Right. Which is wow. good for some people. And it could right. be more effective for people who feel stuck or stagnant, where they need to be pulled. In her case, she'd been pulled in way too many directions, being an empath where everything's pulling out of her. She wanted to claim it. No, this is mine. It's harmonic. I own this. It's not being pulled out of me. I'm keeping it. I'm just my, my, I'm, I'm, I'm loving everything you're saying. This is just like mind blown of, of just like looking at this in a whole other way. I've done a lot of work around affirmations. And one of the things that I've noticed is that I find that if affirmations create cognitive dissonance, which a lot do, because if somebody's trying to say an affirmation that they don't have buy-in with, it's going to create the exact opposite response. Exactly. I'm beautiful when you're feeling ugly. Right. It's like, you know, or like the, you know, like the, I am abundantly wealthy when you have got like $3 in your bank or if you're overdrawn, you know? Right. There's things that it's just, I find we have to, and so I've done a lot of work around affirmations where it's like finding the buy-in 
finding the words that you can agree with, finding finding the affirmation that you're like, yeah, I can agree with this. This resonates or there's this lands for me. I'm not having dissonance with it. But what I'm hearing with you is you're taking this to a whole other level where it's not just about whether you can cognitively grasp it and buy it and accept it. It's also about the, are you talking about using an affirmation that's soft and open and expansive? Or are you talking about using an affirmation that is precise and tight and landing? And, you know, you're just taking this to a whole other level that I'm just like, "Ah." so can I, can I blow your mind a little more? Please. Yeah. What happens if you take that affirmation going back to my yoga roots? If you take that affirmation that you have really fine-tuned to the energy of the sound being what you want to manifest or what you're hoping to encourage more of in your world, and then you add to that a physical body action that matches that. So So it's not just hearing and it's not just mudra, it's... Full body movement. Because mudra is typically hands. Yeah. Or I've known of, I've heard of mudra also being of just like a a posture, like just like an anchoring posture. Yeah. Right. But but you're talking an action. I'm talking either a posture, like taking a, a muscular engagement in your body or an action of actually physically moving something Mm -hmm. and moving the body part that gets triggered by that sound. And linking it so that the message is not just stuck in the head and the cognitive, but it's moving through all your nerves into the body. And then the body is embodying. You are embodying the phrase that you're saying. So my methodology that I work with with clients is just that. I fine-tune the affirmation with them. And then I teach them the physical body action and get their brain paying attention to what they're feeling in their texture of their body and how that matches the words. And then we take it to a third level. So we've got the mind with the affirmation, the body with the action, and we take it to a third level with the breath. And we match a very specific breathwork practice to all three of all, both of those. So we've got the body, the mind, and the spirit all working as one. And it takes only 30 seconds. Amazing. And what if you do that 30-second exercise 20 times a day? Right. That takes your affirmation, I'm abundantly wealthy. And you change that into something where I feel full and alive and vibrant or whatever words are triggering the sensation of abundance in your body. And then you're physically doing something where And I'd have to work with the client to see what the physical body part is that's connected to that action, to that sensation. Right. And then on the inhale and the exhale, you're matching the action. So the oxygen of the inhale and the exhale is moving that message through your nerves and connecting your body to your mind. And it takes 30 seconds and you can do it anywhere you're at in any moment of any day. And the brain training of doing it over and over and over again makes it more real. Mm-hmm. That's what I call the Mosey method. Mm. <laughs> you okay? I'm I'm just really taking everything that you're talking about and I'm I'm like, 
I'm just seeing the mount the magnitude of it and just how you have taken you, you you really are using your acusis as a superpower. It it's really just oh my god. Yeah. So we've got a few minutes before I hit the oh my goodness, Terry Lee, I can't believe how fast the time has gone by. Do you have any suggestions for the audience where do we like of of like maybe like where where might somebody start with this the most important place to start is the breath mm-hmm. if you have a really solid breathwork practice everything else comes easier because without the breath you can't really get your brain and your body talking to each other because the oxygen is what moves the message from your brain to your body through your nerves. We use 90% of our oxygen in our nervous system, sending the messages of what our brain is thinking and what our body is receiving back and forth to talk to each other. And we also get 90% of our energy from breathing, not from food. Mm -hmm. So the biggest issue in our culture and in our world as a whole is that we are not breathing effectively. And when we don't breathe effectively, the stuff gets cluttered in our heads and our bodies get cluttered and things are not communicating. And so you can't get to those deeper levels of analyzing the letters and the phrases you're using if the letters and phrases are all stuck in your head Mm. because you don't have breath moving through. Mm. So I do offer a breathwork course on my online program and it's just a basic type of, this is the best kind of breathing and the kind of breathing that I teach to all my students in the beginning, and they all report a 75 to 80% increase in all their markets, all their market choices within the first session because of the breath work. So I, I cannot tell you how important breath work is, even though we got to it through the, in this conversation, through the avenue of the mind, the accuses and the body, the texture and the feeling without the breath work, nothing works. Without breath, we're dead. I mean, exactly. Yeah, I studied my first modality was breath work as a healer. And I am one of the things I heard a long time ago that I really love is who, you know, they who control their breath, the breath control the room. That it's Mm -hmm. like the person who has mastery over their breath has mastery over the energy of the space, has mastery over the energy of their own body. And I mean, and the way we respond, I mean, it's also really interesting just thinking about you were saying 90% of our fuel comes from our breath, not from our food. And yet it's almost disproportionate culturally where we're seeking 90% of our energy from our food as opposed mm-hmm. to from our breath. And so right. many people are just, you know, these shallow, like breath is almost an afterthought as opposed to a primary practice. Right. I would say that the biggest turning point for me from my accusus being my wound and my curse and my temper tantrum trigger to it being my superpower was when I discovered the breath work. When I started yoga and started learning the breath work of yoga, everything changed. Yeah. And now as a practitioner, when my clients speak, I am constantly doing the deeper breath work because it helps open me up to curiosity. It helps open me to receive 
the sounds of their choices and their language in so much more clarity because the oxygen is the atom that makes everything pure. Oxygen really is purity. And so if we can get more pure oxygen into our system with a very clear type of breath that's teaching your lungs how to clean the air of all the other stuff that's not oxygen, everything functions better. Yes. Yes. So now we get to the point where I say to you, oh my goodness, Terry Lee, I cannot believe how fast the time has gone by. And as always, I always, I mean, it's like I say this every time, but I always mean it. So three questions. First one being, is there anything that feels really important to share that like you're like, you'd kick yourself if you don't say it before we end this interview? I just said it. It's the breathing. Yeah. If you walk away from this interview and you never call me, fine. Just take a deep breath. Go learn how to breathe. Yeah. If you really want to learn how to breathe in a way that really will change your life, call me. (laughs) Awesome. Which now, so the second question is something that I do in every episode. And this is where, because I do believe that podcasts exist outside of time. They exist for a very long time after it's recorded. And I believe that they have an ability to kind of broadcast messages and ripple back into the past. And so what I love to think of is you and I just kind of like sitting on this ribbon of time and folding over onto a spot in the back at a time when you needed a message. And so what I'm going to ask you is, who are we sending a message back to? Like, where are we going? How old is she? Who is she? And what, what is the message that she needs you to tell her? What does she need to hear? I would go back to that little girl in the closet covering herself with the pillows and tell her, breathe. Just that simple. Because in a temper tantrum, you're not breathing. No, you're not breathing. You are hyperventilating. You are... Hold, I remember holding my breath for... Well, I was also a synchronized swimmer, so I could hold my breath for two minutes. <laughs> yes, yes. And if I could tell that little girl how important breath work is, because once I got into the breath work, I understood this is how sound is beautiful. This is how sensation is beautiful. Yeah. Precious yeah. and sacred and magical and mystical and esoteric and metaphysical and it's the oneness. Breath is like through COVID, we're all scared of breath. Oh, it's the one thing that unifies us. It is. Right now, we are breathing atoms and molecules from Caesar's last breath. Yeah. Caesar is in us yeah. because we breathed an atom or molecule recycled out of him. And even the dinosaurs. So, yeah. 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 Time is memorial. It's forever because oxygen doesn't ever go away it just recycles yes i so i have a bonus question for you because i've been wanting to ask you do you, what is and this may be like you're like like they're like children you can't come up with one but do you have a particular language that's like one of your favorite languages not necessarily i mean it may not even be one you can speak fluently yourself but is there a favorite language that just like just feels good to you that you just love I'd have to say there's two, mm-hmm. Latin and Sanskrit. Mm. And because I've studied them both 
and I can see the deeper esoteric wisdom in how they were constructed. They're magical and they're so ancient. There's so yeah. much more to them. Yeah. Yeah. Sanskrit is just such an incredibly beautiful language. It's just, it's so gorgeous. I also really love the sound of Portuguese because it's just like, it's, it's so fluid. Sudden, it's so fluid and it's so feminine. It's just, it's got mm -hmm. such a softness to it. Okay. So the final question is, how do we get in touch with you? So the best way is just go to my website, Terry Lee, T-E-R-I-L-E-I-G-H.com. Or if you don't want to remember that, how to spell it, chakrascoach.com. Okay. So the same place. On there, I have examples of all the different life changes that people go through. Because really, I, I specialize in helping people through major life issues. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. when we have a major life change, that's when our nervous system is triggered the most. And that's yes. when we need to recalibrate and readjust ourselves. And that's my specialty is helping people through that. And so chakrascoach.com, I work with people both one-on-one, -on -one, private coaching sessions. I do a group program that starts in January and goes through September. And I mm -hmm. limit that to 15 people. So it becomes a very tight-knit group of people making some major shifts in their lives over the course of nine months. And then I have online courses. And the one I would say you start with is Breathe. It's just one course. It's called Breathe. It's very easy to find. Mm, wonderful. So terrylee.com and chakrascoach.com. Yep. This will also be in the show notes, you guys. So if you, you know, come back over to empathicmasteryshow.com, you can find it there. Terry Lee, this has been such a rich and mind-blowing conversation. I hope that my audience has gotten as many takeaways or even half the takeaways that I've gotten from this. It's just been so good. Thank you so much for being here. It was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.